you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, help us to look to you and hear your words this morning. Amen. So, I want to begin today with a confession. Uh, Throughout the pandemic, uh, my desire for goodness and peace and justice has spiked, but so has my desire for controlling my life and those around me to make those things happen. I was reading a book um, that revealed a lot of trust issues um, that I'm realizing that I have with God. I realized that perhaps I make an idol of the church and Christians making the world good and uh, building God's kingdom. Um, Not that those are bad things, um, but those alone are not going to fulfill my life. I crave order and love um, and justice and beauty in a imperfect, unloving, and sometimes ugly world. I crave God's justice uh, before I crave God's presence. I want to go out into the world before I am still and know that he is God. I love Pastor Chad's interpretation of the parable of the weeds a few weeks ago, um, where he said that God says, I've got this. Um, But honestly, that convicted me, because I want to run out into the fields, pick all the weeds, and heal the land myself. I want God to calm the storm of this pandemic uh, before I try to be close to his heart. I want God's justice to roll down like waters and righteousness to flow like an ever-flowing stream before I um, fix my gaze on Jesus. Now, please don't misunderstand me. All of these things are so important to the heart of God and to the church and to the life of Christians. Um, But I have made an idol of these things. Um, And I tend to skip over um, my own transformation um, through the Holy Spirit. And I sometimes have to remind myself that my own relationship with God is just as important as the ministry and the work I do here on earth. A few of us have been reading a book um, by Drew Hart for our racial justice reading group. Um, It's called The Trouble I've Seen. Um, And in one of his chapters, uh, he talks about how the Western American church um, has made Jesus into their own image. And I think we often chase after that image instead of chasing after the actual image of Jesus, um, who took on this low position in society and joined in with these thousands of Jews who were being persecuted in their time. And as followers of Jesus, we're we're brought into the crucifixion, um, but often our church uh, celebrates the resurrection more than we relate, and relate to the resurrection more than we relate to the crucifixion. Um, But I want to be a person and I want our church uh, to be a community that seeks after the true image of God and the true image of Jesus as we look to him. Um, So in our passage, I can totally relate to Peter 
If I am doing something scary, I want to pay attention to what is scaring me. I want to avoid getting hurt, I want to avoid being blindsided, and I want to avoid sinking. In this passage, the disciples are in the Sea of Galilee in this storm-tossed boat um, that represents um, the church's journey that we're still on today. I think something we can all relate to right now is that we're all in a bit of a storm. Um, Obviously, we have different levels in compounding storms, um, but because of this pandemic, uh, we're all facing difficult times. Of course, we have good moments and things to celebrate, but generally, um, it's, it's a storm, and we really have the opportunity to look to and lean on Jesus. So why was it so important for Peter to focus on Jesus instead of the storms? Like I was saying earlier, it's so easy to focus on the wind and the danger when we are in the midst of the storm. It's so easy to throw up our arms and say, help, save me, please. I felt that way so many times, like, can can the virus just go away? Can you just save us from this? Can you just snap your fingers and cease it? Um, And when I look at the depths of this pandemic alone, I'm overwhelmed then add hurricanes and explosions and systematic uh, racism and relationship dysfunction, those who are imprisoned, um, those who are battling other illnesses and financial crises, it's it's unbearable. So what do we do in the storm? When the winds are overwhelming us and the boat, the church, is being shaken up a bit, It's interesting to me that in the passage, Jesus goes from being seen as a ghost, scary, um, to being declared and worshiped as the son of God at the end of the passage. But how do we get there? How do we get to the son of God? Have we felt like the disciples on the boat wondering where Jesus is? I know I have found myself there several times over the last few months. Where is Jesus in the midst of this pandemic? Where is Jesus um, as I start a new job in ministry um, and still haven't had a normal service? <laughs> We've had great services, but it's not the same without you guys here. Where is Jesus in the midst of all of the suffering in the world? And so my primary question for today is, um, where, or what does it look like to truly look to Jesus? Yeah, Peter was looking to Jesus, but when he, looked to, when he started to look at the winds, that's when he began to sink and needed saving. So from what I'm seeing both in myself and in the church, is we either focus on our relationship with God, overly focus on our relationship with God, or we overly focus on fixing and loving the world well. I constantly have to remind myself that the greatest commandment involves both loving God and loving neighbor. I think most of the time I'm doing one of those okay, Um, but it's hard to do that, all of it, at the same time sometimes. Um, And doing that, it's so important to do that together as the church. There's this circular existence in being Christian where we draw near to God and then we go back out into the world and spread God's love. Um, But I tend to get stuck in, in either one to where I'm either spiritually starved or spiritually overstuffed. And to be transparent, um, I've been living in a spiritually starved category because I'm so distracted by the winds around us and the storms around us. Um, This Preparing this sermon has actually really helped me to realize that and um, to lean into my relationship with God. But one thing that I don't think that we need to do, I think something that I've kind of missed in this passage before, 
um, is that I think that we should just avoid the waters and avoid the storm. Um, but I think that Peter was very aware of the waters when he stepped out. I mean, I would be, even if I was looking at Jesus, I'd be like, I'm walking on water. This is crazy. Um, and so as we step out into the waters, we're aware of them, but our focus must stay on Jesus. And it's, it's not by our own power that we walk on water, it's by his power. And to set our gaze on Jesus involves knowing who he is. While all the other disciples on the boat were saying, oh my gosh, it's a ghost, Peter knew who it was. And he calls out to Jesus, and Jesus says, come to me. As last week, as I looked out at the North Carolina beach, as it was starting to get stormy, unfortunately a hurricane was brewing <laughs> as we were leaving, um, I wondered what I would do if Jesus were to call me out there. I even asked my husband, Michael, what would he do? Um, and it might not be literal waters that he's calling us to, but he is calling us. Um, and even when we have a moment where we start to focus on the winds and we start to sink and our faith is weak, he's still there to catch us and to pull us back to him. If we run to the waters where we are called but immediately lose track of Jesus, the fruit we bear in our life will not be good. This idea reminds me of John Wesley. And I don't know if you've ever read about his first time in America, but it was not so good. It's almost comical how many flops he has um, while in ministry. Uh, he was so focused on people's problems and legalism um, that his ministry didn't really grow. He was like, what am I doing here? I thought I was called here. Um, and I can definitely relate to that. Um, but it, then when he is traveling back, he was uh, with a group of Moravians on a ship and they had a literal storm. Um, and Wesley was really scared of dying. Um, but the Moravians had this peace to them and they did not fear death. Um, and Wesley was kind of envious of that and uh, was just captivated that they wouldn't fear death. And so later he was, you know, the captivated by that and went to Moravian Chapel. Um, and this is where the Aldersgate experience um, and as Methodists, I'm sure we've heard this story many times, but as they were reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans, um, he felt his heart strangely warmed. Um, and I truly believe in that moment he was looking to Christ. He was not looking at the waves. And here's how he describes it. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and save me from the law of sin and death. And so it was this experience that when he was back in America, um, his, his ministry exploded and the Methodist movement began where um, discipleship and relationship with God was combined uh, really well with loving neighbors by going to visit the poor and the isolated and the imprisoned and speaking out against slavery. Um, all of that began out of his relationship with God. Um, then I also um, thought of Harriet Tubman, and I watched her movie recently called Harriet, and I was amazed to see how much God was in it. I was almost like, is this real? Why was I never taught this? Um, but she was so focused on God to protect her. She was, she was so desperate for him um, to be protected that uh, out of that, um, it's miraculous how many slaves she was able to safely save, um, especially in that time. Um, and so it was largely due to these visions she would have. Um, a, another a rescuer of slaves was like, oh, it's just her head injury. But I think God might have worked through that head injury to, to keep her safe because he definitely communicated with her and she leaned on him. 
And I also thought of some good friends of mine who uh, live in relationship with God uh, so purely, and uh, you see it in the fruit of their lives and the way that they love people. Um, their, their table is always crowded and always diverse, um, and there's no one that they turn away from their spare bedroom. This is how I want to do ministry. Um, I want to be in active relationship with God always and him to be with me every step of the way. Um, And this is how I encourage all of us as Andover to do ministry, Uh, not to check off boxes, not to um, try to please God, um, but to just do it alongside of him. Um, Sky Jatani wrote a book that evaluates these different postures that people have in their relationship with God typically. There's life from God, and these people will um, go to God when they need something. Uh, they, they pray for their lives and their businesses and their nation and their families to be blessed. And then there's life over God, um, that when people don't think about God as much um, because the world, it feels like the world is just lost and abandoned by God. And we must create our own systems and structures uh, that make the world right. Then there's life for God when the person's primary goal is to just serve God and to please God. Um, Their life is only significant if they're doing great things in service to God. Then there's life for God, um, or sorry, under God, where the primary role is to obey God's commandments, um, and that's how God will bless our lives, our families, our nation. Uh, This person constantly um, wants to determine how, what God approves of and disapproves of and vigorously um, and hypervigilantly um, remains, tries to remain within what God approves and disapproves. And I can think over my life where I've fallen into each of these camps. But the punchline of the book is that we are not created to live life for God, over God, from God, or under God, but we are to live life with God. This is what we see at the Garden of Eden um, in Genesis, in our creation story. But we are, we are no longer in Eden. We have to look and follow Jesus in the midst of this chaotic world as people created for order. His book goes on to explain um, what life with God looks like. And Jesus is what makes this possible. Uh, Jesus is what sets us apart from other religions because he is Emmanuel, God with us. Christ is the light that helps us live our life with God and not under, over, from, or for. Lauren F. Winner is a Christian author that has tremendously spoken into my spiritual life. Her way of describing um, her relationship with God is so raw and real. Um, It's uh, helped me a lot. And something in her books really struck me. Here is the thing about God. He is so big and so perfect that he can't, we can't really understand him. We can't possess him or apprehend him. Moses learned this when he climbed up Mount Sinai and saw the radiance of God's face would burn him up should he gaze upon it directly. But God so wants to be in relationship with us that he makes himself small, smaller than he really is, smaller and more humble than his infinite perfect self so that we might be able to get to him even a little bit. And so I think this relates um, because I don't think we realize how privileged Peter is to look directly in the face of Jesus. From what we know about Moses is that um, 
he knew that he couldn't look at, directly at God without his face being burned. And even being in his presence, his face was glowing as he came down the mountain. Um, but Jesus makes it possible for God to be gazed at, to be reached. God is no longer kept in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, separated from us. But no, the veil is torn through what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. Um, and I think it's so important um, that we live this life with God um, every day and not to possess or apprehend him, not over, under, from, or for him, but with God. So I encourage all of you um, to find what it means for you to live life with God. I think another thing we get wrong is that we think it looks like our neighbor, <laughs> but it's different for all of us in how we spend time with God. Um, it's not to check off your religion or God box, um, but just to be with him. Um, so have a conversation with your covenant group or me or Pastor Chad or your Sunday school um, and try to assess what is our posture towards, towards God? What is our posture in our relationship with God? Is it over, under, for, from, or is it with? Um, and I, I want us to all uh, try to get to where we are um, just living life with God. This passage really gets at the heart of our faith and our posture towards God. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 and now and he was taking some time alone and he meets his disciples in the storm. I want my life to look like Peter's um, walking towards Jesus. I want us as a church to look to Jesus and live our faith with him and our ministry will walk on water from this. When I'm lost and looking at the wind and wondering what to do about all the waves, I often return to one of my favorite verses that I've already shared before, um, but Micah 6, 8. And remember what the Lord requires of us. Uh, it's not just to seek justice and love mercy, but to walk humbly with our God. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>